Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Orlando Eastwood, director of On the Road, The Search for Bigfoot, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show. You are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. I got more touristic for you. Yes, so last time we had a little bit of a flashback where when he was, you know, completing the 12th trial, uh, he passed out. Probably not a good thing because, as established, you know, if you don't complete those 12 trials, you don't, you know, become king. But then again, we know that he's not going to become baron or king or whatever because, uh, you know, he was in prison when Cal met him and this is a flashback. So, big surprise, he didn't actually pass the 12 trials. Uh, you know, I'm sure everyone saw that coming, but it's setting up some stuff here because, uh, you know, uh, eventually I plan to have all these flashback sequences come up in the present action arc. Right now I'm on some big epic stuff for the third book. Like, epic crazy. Like, I haven't actually had time to put flashbacks in. It's been so epic. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm about halfway there on that third book. In, in the raw writing phase. Then there's the editing phase, and that takes who knows how long. Uh, you know... I want to make sure these are done right, though. I mean, I've been working on them since 2013, so got to make sure they're good before I release. But I'm hoping either late uh, 2022 or, you know, early 2023. That's my hope. We'll see how it goes. But anyways, let's get on with some more touristic They're sending a boarding transport, Maker said. I estimate an Orkandu war party of about 30 to 40 in number. Do not underestimate them, Granork said. Their commanding officer may be an idiot, but the soldiers are fierce and well-trained. There is an Orkandu saying that you can't choose your leaders, but you can choose your death. I'll keep that in mind, but I don't plan to have them board us, Cal said. 
Are we just going to play Dodge the Bombardment again? Aiden said. No, Cal said. I figure they're going to let us through. How? By turning on the auto-destruct sequence, Cal said. Before the crew could finish their protest, a timer appeared in their fields of view. It counted down the minutes until they would be nothing more than particles floating through space. The approaching Orkandu ship slammed on the reverse thrusters and came to a dead halt. Within seconds, the incoming channel blipped. Reese said, Uh, um, Perveus is, is calling back. Put him on screen, Cal said. The head of Perveus appeared in the view window. What is the meaning of this? Perveus yelled. Why have you shut off your cooling functions? That's a dumb question, Cal said. I'm obviously trying to overload the core of my ship. But that will kill all of you! Yes, and hopefully some of you, and maybe damage some others. Radiation might be a problem too, isn't that right, Maker? Maker was about to reply when Cal cut him off. The point is, is that I'm willing to die rather than let you bring this prize to your master. I'm pretty sure Tretkick wants Granork alive too, or else he wouldn't have sent him to prison. Judging by the new tech you've been using, that leaves someone who's in the business dealings with your Baron, and I think that person has an interest in us. Even if you survive the blast, do you want to face your employer who put you up to this? There was about a minute of silence as the clock counted down. The entire crew waited. Reese uttered a prayer under his breath. After the timer got agonizingly close, Purveyus responded, We'll stand down. Cal flipped the auto-destruct switch, and the timer disappeared. Good. Now, I want to personally escort me to these coordinates. Your fleet stays behind. I want to meet this employer. Are you sure that is wise? Grenork said, and blocked his voice from Purveyus hearing him. The advantage of using implants to communicate meant they could choose who hurt them. It made negotiations much easier when Cal could access the thoughts of her crew without the person on the other end being any wiser. It's better than meeting whoever is on their terms. If we keep falling into these traps, we might find ourselves in a cage, Cal said. I'm merely pointing out that an Orkandu is not so easily vanquished. I would be cautious of Purveyus. He may be nothing more than a beza gnawing at our heels, but something is whispering in his ear. Your caution is duly noted. I will escort you, Purveyus said, and cut the communications. Cal nodded to Hayden. Take us out of here. <laughs> With pleasure, Hayden said. They fired up the maneuvering drive and flew through the Orkandu ships. They were still in formation, and Hayden had to plot a course to the edge of the sphere, weaving through the vessels. With each spacecraft they passed, the crew breathed a little easier. Purveyus's little battle cruiser broke from the formation and followed them out of the sphere. The dervish disappeared in a blink once they were in open space, followed by the Okandu battle cruiser. They made sure to set their speed at a pace where Purveyus could keep up. There's no use in tipping their hand of their actual capabilities. Putting as many P-years between them and their adversaries might be their only way out of their current situation. After a few hours of travel, they arrived at a very remote system in the cosmic scheme. It was a brown dwarf about ten light-years from the nearest star, and there were only three planets in the entire system and two moons. Even the Cooper Belt objects were pretty scarce. For long-range sensors, it was a processing-powered dream, 
Without very many artifacts to track, the computer could spot things that maybe didn't quite behave like an asteroid. Cal also knew that Maker would be watching too. The fewer stellar objects they had to watch, the better chance of seeing other ships coming, even as they had high-tech design to fool the sensors. The additional advantage was the distance between the planets. The second one, with the two moons, was habitable. The first was close to the host star, but the third was about as far out as could still be in the solar system. If they parked near the second planet, the ship couldn't hide anywhere without being seen. They arrived at the system about a full 15 minutes before the cruiser. The second planet was tidally locked. Scans revealed that they had primitive organisms on the stretch between the light and the dark side of the globe, where it was temperate enough to sustain life. They could see the evidence of seasons as the northern habitable zone was covered in snow and the south in summer, unlike most planets where seasons were created by tilt. This planet's seasons were formed by mixing of the air currents. When the dark side's currents would overpower the day side, it would be winter. When the day overwhelmed the dark, it would be summer. Cal had seen the unique weather patterns on other brown dwarfs that harbored life. As a pirate, she often found herself in these systems because they were a favorite meeting place among smugglers and scoundrels alike. This area fitted her needs and gave her enough sight lines to the outer reaches and some places to hide near the star should things not go her way. Once the Rokandu vessel arrived, she told him to wait by the third planet. She didn't want any ship crossing the gap without her noticing, since Preveus couldn't provide a reasonable estimate of when his employer would be coming, all she could do was wait. They established orbit around the second planet and parked the ship. After a moment or two, Grenork turned to Cal and said, Permission to speak to you private, Cal said. You know you can use the implants to send a message directly to me. Yes, Grenork said, but it's not the same. Kel understood that all too well. She gave Hayden control of the bridge and retreated to her ready room. It was Cal's office for all intents and purposes, but she liked Hayden's term for it more. Since his personality was so strong, much of the crew adopted his love of human pop culture. Though she wasn't going to give him the pleasure of telling him that he hated to telling him that he had the con. She would just transfer temporary captain access to whoever needed control at the moment. Once they were settled, Granork didn't waste any time getting down to it. I want permission to go to Pervasus' ship. Feeling a little homesick, are we? Cal probed. I am not welcome on Orcanus. So what makes you think Pervasus will accept you? I said I'm not welcome on Orcanus. I said nothing of the Orcandu people. I still have the respect and love of the citizens. There are many good Orkandu men and women on that ship. There's a good chance that they're going to die during this encounter. Are you telling me that you can't do your duties should we get in a firefight? Are you doubting my honor? He had changed a lot from when he was in prison. Granork would have lashed out at her physically had he questioned his loyalty before. However, being with a mixed-race crew had taught him patience that even Cal was surprised he had. No, but before I let my best gunner go to what could be a suicide mission, I need to know what he thinks he can accomplish. I think I can convince them to aid us in the conflict to come, or at the very least, not to interfere. I was hoping to talk to their employer, not exchange bullets. Perhaps we may. Should it come down to direct conflict, 
Wouldn't it be wise to at least attempt to undermine any strategic advantages our unknown adversary has? Granork was correct on that last point. Two ships fighting on their side were better than one, no matter how good a vessel they had. Also, Cal didn't have any better ideas. She had brought Purveus along to ensure the employer would come. She figured she could nuke a ship if you tried anything. However, if there was a way for Granark to make them not a threat without bloodshed, she had to do it. She nodded. Alright, take the Citronite over to a ship. Try to bring it back in one piece. Our maker will have some words with you. Alright, that is it. I'll see you next time for Aaron's Horror Show. And uh, we'll finally see who this mysterious employer of the Orcandus is. Good night.